class is in session. This is Midwest Drag 101, hosted by Jess Marshall and PhD. We love to talk about all things drag and get even more excited when it's local. Join us to find out about drag happenings in Indiana, Ohio, and Northeast Kentucky. Have some fun and watch out. You might just learn something. What's on the syllabus today? This week, we welcome a visiting lecturer to discuss how one might navigate mental health and or disability in the world of drag, especially during the pandemic. Please welcome the smoldering drag demon king of Cincy and Kentucky, mm. Landon Strip. Yes. Hi, hey. Landon. Thanks for having me on. I'm real excited. It's the first podcast. Oh, really? Welcome. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for doing this. Yes, we're very excited to have you. I've had my eye on you for some time. And recently, we'll get something that you posted a few weeks back that just blew my mind. And I was like, D, do you think that Landon would agree to be on this? So thank you, especially if it's your first time on a podcast. Heck yeah, no problem. Happy to help. Awesome. We usually like to start with a little icebreaker just to get to know each other a little bit better. And I thought maybe a good question for Landon would be, <laughs> what is the scariest thing you've ever done for fun? And I'm going to say outside of drag. Some people might say their first time on stage was the scariest thing, but so I'll say outside of drag. Oh, the scariest thing I've ever done for fun. So I work for the Renaissance Festival when I'm not in drag. And there are just cornfields surrounding the place. So the best thing to do for fun is essentially a game of of tag in the cornfield. (laughs) Um, But it's huge. And it's a cornfield. And it's the same time that all of the scary noises from like, the other side of the cornfield with the haunted stuff is going on. Yes. So you're just running around with your friends in a cornfield with you hear like axe murderers coming from the other <laughs> direction. I mean, even without that soundtrack, that sounds like a horror film waiting to happen. Right? It sounds like, oh, let's do this with your friends. And then like, hey, we can't find Bethany. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, I will say that. Oh, shit, have- where did Landon be? having grown up surrounded by cornfields I definitely played some games like tag chase sort of stupid things the worst part for me and I will always I haven't ran through a cornfield in a long time but I will always remember hitting those massive corn spider webs have you ever done that where you just hit yes horrible (laughs) (laughs) okay so I also grew up surrounded by cornfields but my mama warned me, don't go running in the cornfields because once the cornfield, once the corn stalks are over your head, you can't see shit and you're going to get lost. So I yeah, never, I have real. never actually just gone running in a cornfield. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm country enough that I've done much more than that in a cornfield. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. Girl, you're going to get scraped up. <laughs> Bring a blanket. I mean, come on. <laughs> find a little never mind I don't need to give people ideas um oh lord that's a good one and I understand the fun appeal even if D is like no I have better sense than that (laughs) my mama warned me I would say it hasn't been for a while while. (laughs) 
Well, what about you, Dee? What's the funnest thing you've ever done or scariest thing you've ever done for fun? Excuse me. Okay. So I don't really do scary. Like I have a very intense love-hate relationship, even with scary movies. So Mm -hmm. like, I don't really, I don't know the, I don't do haunted houses. I don't do like haunted corn mazes. I don't do haunted anything. And I think maybe the reason is because the one time I tried, I'll tell you this, the story. So the one time I tried to do like one of those haunted, it was like a haunted walk in the woods or something. And it was me, my little sister and my grandparents were like taking us. And I was like, I don't know, maybe preteen. But even at that, even at that age, I was like, I don't know that I'm like, down for this (laughs) and we got maybe 10 minutes into this walk and I was sobbing I was quivering they had to escort us out and like like they had to have somebody escort us out because I was a mess I was so terrified I was so terrified um so that's the scariest thing that I've ever done I wouldn't say for fun I thought my I think my grandparents thought it was going to be for fun and it really just terrified me like to the point where I cannot and will not do haunted houses even to this day like that's the first and only haunted anything that I've been in and it like scarred me for life yeah, I would, I would avoid those. That does not sound like you need to do that at all. <laughs> oh, it was the worst. It was awful. Awful. Pour me another glass. I, like, just, at one point, we were, like, walking, and then something was walking next to me, and it was, like, terrifying because it was dark. The next second, like, a headless horseman was running after us. The next second, like, there were, I don't know, there was just so much happening that I just, I, like, I shut down and just, like, sobbed like I was a mess so it probably like it sounds funny to kind of talk about but it was so scary in the moment at the time yeah it was terrifying at the time as a result I just I don't do scary things I just don't well I would like to say I'm really glad that you weren't in my family because my mother has a history of abandoning children in haunted houses when she is done when she's like I'm scared bye 12 year old girl (laughs) (laughs) that will be me that would be me that would be me 100 (laughs) (laughs) she she has abandoned no less than two of her granddaughters in haunted houses oh my god yeah I don't know I just I can't they're so scary to me what about you Jess tell us your scary fun fact so I love to get scared and I And it used to be especially like, oh, this is fun to get scared. So I'm actually having a hard time narrowing it down. But I decided what I was going to talk about, especially since I just brought up my crazy mother, (laughs) is the time that my mom and I broke into an abandoned elementary school and, and harvested things from her old classrooms. That was really scary. It was obviously not a safe place, like structurally. Uh, definitely plenty of dangerous people were probably staying there but my mom can really make anyone fearless as I I crawled in it was on Mother's Day (laughs) (laughs) happy Mother's Day let's break into this abandoned school building this is what she wanted to do I wanted her to drive me around her old neighborhood (laughs) and 
she lived across the street from her elementary school, which had shut down in like 1983. And she saw it and she was like, well, let's just drive around back. And then she saw a window at the side of a door that was broken. And she was like, oh, we could get in there. So we got in there. I was wearing a full length skirt and heeled boots <laughs> crawling oh, through a God. broken window. And we ended up going back several times and like getting the chalkboard that my mom learned English <laughs> on. Um, you know, she has the plaque that was in the foyer, the buzzer to the office from her kindergarten room. So, oh my gosh. You're not the only trespasser on this podcast, I'll have you know. Oh, yeah? Um, I, is it all three of us? I think it might be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about I'll that, but what, yes. That's a, that's a good breaking and entry outfit right then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, I was like, I am going to slash my legs open. Thank God they were knee-high boots. I probably would have. I and, did slash my leg open when I was jumping a fence trying to get out of the place that I had broken into. Where did you break into? I can't say the name of the place, oh, okay. um, but it was here in Cincinnati and it was it's a relatively um, well-known building that recently went through some renovations. And during those renovations, me and my friend Zach, well, my friend Zach kind of like egged me on and was like, hey, it looks like that door's open. Should we go check that out? And my drunk ass was like, yeah! <laughs> how about you Landon where have you trespassed well lots of abandoned houses tvh me and one friend had a, a plan to buy a, an abandoned house from like the land bank and fix it up and mm. uh, they don't give you tours before that so we just kind of checked it out ourselves <laughs> um, and then i believe i've been to the same place in cincinnati you were i think <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah i mean okay i'll just tell you it was mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> can beep that out don't worry okay. i'll just yeah I'll just... beep that beep that out i want people <laughs> knowing that i was i was breaking it and it happened more than once like <laughs> there was one night that like we were there until like 5 a.m and it was just like exp- we were just exploring and then all of a sudden we heard the construction workers coming in we got to go now <laughs> we got caught but like we just ran away it was fine oh no you're okay and i'm always like i'm i'm so down for the photo shoot but b- bitch i can't run in heels so we're doing this in docks <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense <laughs> well that's my favorite part of breaking into that building with my i've to be honest, I've broken into uh, at least one abandoned hospital, and also I can't count how many hospitals uh, or houses. I, oh we lived God. in the middle of nowhere. What were we gonna do but scare the shit out of each other for fun, you know? But when like we got in there, and it was very obvious that like people were staying in that building, I was like, "Mom, there are probably murderers and rapists in here. I really think that we should just go right back outside." My mom who at the time was probably 65 to 67, goes, hello, <laughs> yoo-hoo. Oh, no. There's no one here, Jesse Ann. Come on. <laughs> that was like, that was her, like, I'll check for murderers and rapists real quick. <laughs> and I just, oh, like, say, you, <laughs> you, hello. So dumb. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my god. She ain't afraid of nothing. Just yodel at the murderers. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's all you need to do. <laughs> well, so anyway, thank you for playing along with our little icebreaker. And that kind of went into a second part of trespassing icebreaker. And I'm great with that. <laughs> <laughs> so people will want to know more about Landon Strip that don't know him. So our first question is generally, what can people expect from a Landon Strip show? energy definitely right off the bat i i am just moving around as fast as humanly possible mm. i try and live up to the name so i try and keep it a little bit demonic show a little <laughs> bit of skin sexy tasteful <laughs> <laughs> tasteful yeah i wish that this wasn't a podcast or so into more like narrative numbers yeah yeah but- your your numbers have a have they usually have like a whole story arc, which is something that I find just really like that kind of conceptual drag is always just like what allures me. I, I always appreciate a good storyline. I love doing it so much, but I feel like all of my stuff just that I want to do is very dark and niche. And I'm like, ah, oh, I can't do it without like getting on the mic and being like, hi, this is your morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I would argue that. There are going to be all sorts of uncomfortable things at drag shows for all reasons. So I feel like just about every number could have trigger warning, <laughs> <laughs> like depending on who you are. So, but you are such a talented king and you are our first drag king. I am so excited. No, thank you. Like, I am so excited that you are here. I think that one, one of the things that I want to talk about for the audience especially is because kings are a rarer breed, it seems, than queens. A little bit harder to find, at least in the areas that we are, this tri-state of Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky. What influenced you or inspired you to become a drag king? Honestly, I, I started out doing it as an expression of gender. I started doing it at, at my college that I attended. They had drag shows. A lot of drag queens came out of my college, um, mm. so they when they started like the pride initiatives and programs there invited them back to be like hey come come show that you can be gay and in in the community and whatnot and I just kind of started expressing myself and being like I feel more mask and honestly the first time I ever did drag I was a little confused but had the spirit because I was like yeah if I'm if I'm a guy I have to do girl drag right yeah oh uh-huh. and did that whole hot mess for for one performance before I was like that's not how this works (laughs) (laughs) right well so how I think that it would be so much harder to find resources to figure out like how to paint how to build your body those sorts of things so did you have people to help you or did you just use YouTube or what were the resources that you could tap into honestly I started with YouTube but even YouTube was really sparse we, you had like the basic like spiky van dykey like does his face up and teaches you how to bind with tape and you had like a landed cider to like go off of and be like mm-hmm. ah this is his like quick makeup look and things like that but i didn't really have the best makeup at the time and they they worked a lot within their own facial structure and i feel like i changed mine a lot mm-hmm. um eventually one of one of the professors at the school i went to helped me out i went to a, a stage makeup class and I was like, I can't, I, I can't do the girl makeup. Can I please do the guy makeup? 
And he said, yeah, and found out what I was into, canceled the test and made an entire lesson on doing girl makeup on guys' faces and guy makeup on girls' faces. How cool. So awesome. Didn't bring up why to the rest of the class, but just did it and was like, you just do this makeup from now on in the class and I will judge you on on this makeup. That's phenomenal. it, it was like the first person accepting me being like, yeah, you can do this and like you can do it well and I want to see you succeed in doing this. And that was honestly my biggest help. Other than that, I relied on like some queens in the community for quick tips like Pinky Pagan came out of my school. So I was like, hey, girl, <laughs> how do I make my lips disappear? How do you do like I know you guys draw it back on afterwards I just need to make them disappear (laughs) (laughs) we make ours disappear and then we redraw them about three times bigger (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think that that would be such a challenge because I know like I was thinking about it leading up to this interview like how many drag kings have I really seen live And I think I've only seen a total of three live and I've gone to tons of drag shows, but it's just not as popular. Do you have any thoughts on why you think that might be, or you obviously can't speak for the whole community. So you can also say, fuck you. That's a shitty question. (laughs) Yeah. I can't speak for the whole community. I know in a lot of places where drag like just starts out, it's a very, white gay drag scene and so I know a lot of like folks who do masculine drag are are very like just kind of queer and in between to begin with so I feel like they just don't feel like welcomed in that community or they look at it and they go like ah this activity this this like sport is for these people and not me Mm. and I feel like a lot of it comes from like you have to just realize that this is just for everybody like a lot of drag kings I know start off in cosplay and then get into being a drag king because that's the area that they feel more accepted in and it's less like a a clubbing or pageantry scene I think cosplay in general is the gateway drug to full-on drag (laughs) complete sense to me when you were conceptualizing like Landon Strip like who that character was going to be how did you choose your name how what What were your initial thoughts and where do you feel like you're going with that character? I knew I wanted to do alternative drag right off the bat. My first professional show was with the Odd Girls and Mm. I loved every second of it. I wanted to explore Landon being a monster or a demon just because I feel like my queerness was demonized and like was not allowed and it was very something that could be polished if it was like seen on screen like oh yes this type of queer is very appealing and nice and soft and safe and it wasn't Mm. what I was trying to be so I wanted to be something more visceral and a little bit more in your face about it and I wanted him to be something like obviously like good looking to lure you in and then just (laughs) vulgar trash just punch you in the face type just a uh, drag and as far as the name I got it from Taco Bell <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> yeah I was I was thinking of my drag name for weeks and weeks and weeks and I was just like ah, I can't think of anything and I was working at the Taco Baco as one does <laughs> um 
asking names for the orders and one person was like Landon and I went huh, Landon strip and then I went <gasps> and chucked at the cup and ran to the back so that I go write it down <laughs> 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 it was terrible my boss was like what are you doing and I'm like I, I gotta write this down before I forget <laughs> that's hysterical oh my god from Taco Bell but and it's a great name it's definitely it a name that when you say it people get the joke right like oh Landon strip I see <laughs> you know which I think most most drag performers with that sort of tongue-in-cheek uh name you experience you expect a sort of humorous experience which sometimes you definitely deliver sometimes you definitely go way dark digging through your Instagram and your Facebook your socials I was really impressed by the wide variety of your song choices. Like you have Avenged Sevenfold and then you have like Marina and the Diamonds or T-Swift. Never quite know what Landon's song choice for the evening is going to be. I don't feel like we can pigeonhole you in any way. Right. So I just wanted to ask, how do you decide to do a number that isn't what most people expect from a drag king? Like Daisy, uh, by is it Ash Nico? Is that how I say that name? Ash Nico. Or that like you did the dismemberment song by Blue Kid. Like, I don't think that that's what people expect from, oh, this is going to be like this demonic drag king. And then you come out and do those and they break perfect sense on stage. But how do you know that that's going to work? Honestly, I I just decide that I'm going to subject the audience to whatever I want to subject them to (laughs) because they pay to sit down and watch me. Uh, and if they don't like it, they can get up and have a cigarette. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a great attitude. I just like really niche music, and I feel like the story that I make with it is, like, heavily influenced specifically on it. Like, a a bout that I did with uh, Prince Valentino from Cincinnati a while back, I did this whole, like, domestic violence number with this song that was very like like lovers do um Mm. and i i was just listening to it and i was like this is a nice love song but it's just it's got just enough of that creepy undertone that i can just take it and blow it up yeah Yeah, yeah. i watched that number that that number is on your instagram and your facebook from different angles it was stellar like both of you were gorgeous and sexy and then scary like you know like you did everything just right And the way that you thought of like choreographing the slow dance that then turns into like the struggle with the knives, like that was just genius. I loved it. Thank you so much for putting it in the world. (laughs) Thank you for the compliments. I love doing things with my burlesque troupe. I feel like I have free range to do whatever I want. And there's always somebody willing to be a prop on stage for me. <laughs> well, and I saw that you had been used as a prop more than once as well. I, I do like to get used, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk a little bit more about that burlesque troupe? Because we haven't really, I think we've kind of hinted at the parallels between burlesque and drag mm-hmm. on the podcast, but we haven't had anybody who dabbles in both worlds. So can you talk a little bit about, about that troupe? Yeah, so it's Smoking Queer Cincinnati, little play on Smoke and Mirrors. We are a queer run and led, all inclusive burlesque troupe, but we don't limit it to burlesque because we do have people who just do drag in the troupe and we have some odds and end performers and whatnot. 
it's really fun for me because I do like boylesque. Like I, I make myself up into drag and then do the whole burlesque number. So it's a little bit different body movement wise than like the female striptease burlesque, very right. like vaudeville-esque. It's, it's just really neat. Burlesque has changed so much in the past few years to include literally just every form of entertainment possible. Like we have Amy with the sadlesque, we have delusion of grandeur with the with the gorelesque, which is one of my favorites, TBH. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really nice because it's it's able to express, I feel like, more sexually charged ideas without it being explicitly I am being a sexual object. It's just like, right. ah, this is tantalizing, but not scandalous. <laughs> right. No, I think that I think it's that perfect. makes sense. My <laughs> my first introduction to burlesque was the Christina Aguilera uh, share movie musical. But then oh when I saw it, <laughs> which is <laughs> fucking phenomenal. I it's just like uh, one of my show favorite me movies. how you burlesque girl. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I mean, I recognize that that's a movie with like the budget and blah, blah, blah. The first burlesque that I saw live was Ginger and Alex and I was just like oh my gosh just mind blown so sultry and like enticing without the without the explicit kind of stuff that you're talking about and I just saw one of their performances for a digital show and again like I was just my mind was blown, you know, like the, it, it's just a lovely art form <laughs> and because it's sexy. Agreed. Yeah, that's, I, I have a friend who used to do burlesque and she once said that burlesque was really just a fancy, a fancy term for like acceptable stripping. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like burlesque has come a long way from that, but like Still, you can kind of boil it down to like acceptable stripping sometimes with a storyline and people just eat it up. I The first time I saw burlesque was at a burlesque jazz club in New Orleans and I was instantly in love with everything that was happening. There was jazz, I was drinking, I was smoking. There was some beautiful bitch with gorgeous titties in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing not to like about the experience. <laughs> um, so I... Uh, uh, thank you for bringing that experience in as well, because I think that the drag community and burlesque can work together in so many ways and often do. And I think that's something else people don't necessarily realize that there's sort of that overlap of being comfortable with sexuality sometimes is a good and healthy thing. Yeah, we're very, we're very happy and uh, body positive in our troupe. We have a lot of different queer people doing different variations of drag or non-drag and still being able to do the sexy strip teases and feeling comfortable on stage and you can tell they just they love it their face lights up and it's the best thing ever to watch somebody get that confidence through this art form and just watching it grow absolutely well my friend who used to do burlesque she has struggled with eating disorders and her body image for most of her life and she said the best thing she ever did for her own body image was to do burlesque. It made her finally love the body she occupied. And I think that's a beautiful thing that most people 
you know, just think it's tawdry, but it's an art form and it literally helps people love themselves, you know. Speaking of sort of those different sorts of experiences, since you are our first king, I thought we might ask, how do you think you experience the stage or performing similarly or differently from Queens as a king? I think as far as what I feel towards it is the same as, as Queens and what I get out of it is the exact same experience. I feel it, it is fundamentally different though to walk into a room of performers just just by virtue of having a beard and uh, a fake dick in your pants. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I've walked into venues that have open stages that like I've never been to before and people will ask me if I'm just there to watch the show or like mm. if I'm somebody's assistant and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm here to perform. I'm, I'm not somebody's prop on stage this time, but I don't know, give me a call if you need me. And I feel like it's, it's fundamentally different presentation wise. I feel like drag queens build up from their body and present like such loud and, and outward, like big looks, like not necessarily all the time, but like that's the gist of it. And for Kings, it's more dressed down. If you have thighs, no, you don't compress those tits. What get rid of them. And then like dress down in like a suit, which is mm -hmm. like, considered a little bit more mundane than like a flashy sequence bodysuit with like light up leds in it and i don't know are like you both talking about a costume of mine i <laughs> 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 feel like the audience is expecting something different like the audience is expecting queen shows or like if they go to a king show they're expecting king shows but for like a king to just be at a show it's kind of a little bit they step back and they're like, oh, and then they're like, oh, okay, all right. So it takes a little bit to warm up. Like the audience mm. looks at you and goes, hmm. Right, That this isn't what I came here for, right? Or not like, that I like, came here to they watch just hot ladies it. dance. Who's this boy? <laughs> <laughs> Who's this boy? Well, no, I, I, think, I, think, as, I think what you're saying, especially about the costuming, um, makes a lot of sense. Like, I don't know a single costume that I have that doesn't glow, doesn't sparkle, doesn't shine, doesn't, you know, there's something about the glitziness of drag queen costuming, where drag king costuming, that dress down, I don't want to use the term pedestrian, but like that, that dress down kind of like, without all the sparkle, is kind of the, is, is kind of the expectation to emulate that that more masculine energy, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Like I have clothing set aside that is very specific. Like these pants are only worn by Landon. They're not worn by me in my day to day. And I'll, I'll still get like red to filth for wearing like street clothes. Mm. It's like, oh, you're wearing just ripped up black jeans and this shirt with a tiger on it. You could walk down the street and then it's like, but I don't. Yeah. But, and, that's that it's strange to hear that because I feel like many kings do wear street type street like streetwear on stage, you know, and that so it's interesting to hear that, that that's like a, a critique. It's mostly it's I'll tell you what it's not from Queens. It's mostly the audience being uh, uneducated, oh. <laughs> not knowing what to expect. Yeah, it's like I, I get like nothing but love and support from the Cincy Queens out here. 
Well, that's encouraging. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) God, because listen, I know we can be some bitches. (laughs) What do you think is one of the most common misconceptions that audiences have about drag kings? Honestly, I feel like the most common misconception is that all drag kings are butch lesbians. Mm, mm -hmm. I feel like everybody's just like, ah, so when you're not being a king, you're clearly a woman who dresses mask, who is into women, yes? And I'm like, "Uh, no, yes, sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Right, well, and this kind of goes back to what we were kind of talking about in one of our recent episodes, just like the misconceptions about drag. The character is a much, the character of Landon Strip, the character of PhD is much different than the identity of the performer, you know, that those don't always go hand in hand. I'm not, I am one of those like cis white gay boys that do that do drag, but you know, that doesn't, I don't know, like gender, sexuality, and like drag persona are all three very different things. And so I think the the uneducated kind of audience member or the maybe uneducated is, is a little too pejorative for what I'm going for, but like Sometimes those three things are easy, easily collapsible for somebody who isn't in the know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because if I don't get butch lesbian, it's you're a trans guy. So, like, I feel that on the gender versus sexuality versus drag. Everybody's yeah. like, yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah? Yeah. Yikes. No. <laughs> <laughs> Short answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Like, my drag is a performance art, honey. Thank you for coming to the show. But the actor will not be taking questions afterwards. (laughs) Right, right. Certainly not ones about my personal being. (laughs) Right. We invited you into a club for a show, not into my living room to see my, like, document my real life, right? Right. Different things. Are there any other things that you would like to talk about with being a drag king that maybe we haven't addressed? I definitely feel like there's booking disparities amongst like the the community as a whole. I understand in our our area, it's it's definitely due to supply and demand, quote unquote. There's Mm -hmm. there's just not a whole lot of us around in this area. And so we're not well known. So the crowd doesn't really push for us to be in those spaces. But I feel like in the community in general, that's an issue. That's the only other thing I can think of that we haven't chatted on. But no, I think I, that I feel like as simple as that. <laughs> right. No, no, no. I, I I think that's that's a that's a really good observation. And I know that like I know that there's a lot of discourse kind of about that. And maybe because maybe it's because you and I are kind of or like even the three of us are kind of more plugged in to to those conversations on like social media and stuff so like I know that that's an issue you know that that's an issue the general audience member probably doesn't because they don't follow 1700 drag artists right they follow a few of their favorites so they they only see what they expose themselves to to know what those discourses are and to know like what issues remain I was just considering I used to go to that yearly drag show in Richmond that was a, uh, they called it the Coachman Family Reunion. It was the Coachman Bar, had been a bar through the 60s and through the 80s, and it was the gay bar in Richmond, Indiana. So 
after so long and all of these queer people in Richmond not feeling like they had any space, they started throwing a family, a yearly family reunion in September that I luckily would always get to go to because I was friends with one of the old barbacks. But uh, they always had a king at those shows. Like that was absolutely the first time I ever saw a king. But I wonder if because Richmond didn't have like a gay bar for men and a gay bar for women, they had a gay bar. So it was queer people of all types. So they knew we have to have drag performers of all types to excite the whole audience throughout. And maybe that's why that was, I started going to those in the late like 2008, 2009. So it's been some time ago, but I was surprised when I started going to shows in Indy, how, how often I wasn't seeing Kings perform. It was just like, oh, I thought that was more of a regular thing but it was just the group of people I was with. It was a more regular thing, but hopefully it's yeah. becoming a more regular thing again. Right. Yeah. It's a lot by location too. Like I'll perform in Kentucky and there's, I'm like the only King oh, wow. in like the Northern Kentucky area that I perform in. And then I'll go up to Columbus and there'll be like four other Kings booked the same night that I am. And I'm like, all right, Kings, what's yeah. up? Yeah. 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 Riley Poppy seeds out of Columbus. Right. Yes, he is. Yeah, he's he's one of my favorites. Oh, God, I love Riley Poppy. <laughs> so there's another Ohio drag king that's amazing out there. If you're closer to Columbus <laughs> and not Cincinnati, right. there are options in Indianapolis. There's KT, for example. They just, yeah, it's unfortunate to know that it's probably not getting as many bookings because bar owners don't think that that's what audiences want. I feel like it's a lot that has to do with like the look of drag kings as well like we were talking about where it's like oh can you put on a show or are you just going to to dress down and do some lip syncing well i would like to tell you i you are one of the most energetic kings i think i've ever seen you started off when i asked you what kind of strip we what kind of strip hold on back up <laughs> what kind of show what kind of do you do <laughs> yeah, okay hold on we were done with burlesque <laughs> Listen, Jess finds a way to have one Freudian slip of an episode, so we'll just, it's fine. It's a special talent. (laughs) (laughs) But so you started off with saying like, I move on stage, I'm full of energy, that's what I'm, and like, you are, I think, the most energetic drag king. You dance so much, and it's not just like doing shoulders and hips moves, your feet are moving constantly you are moving you are you are getting the full workout that i expect a drag <laughs> performer <laughs> to be getting while performing and i think that that's one of the things that i was consistently surprised researching more of what you have done what where you have gone over the last 2 years uh which by the way happy belated drag birthday landon yes i'm now 2 years old and have entered my terrible two phase <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's where you will thrive. But so I had said early on that I caught one of your shows on Instagram and I was like, oh gosh, this person is amazing. This is so thoughtful and something I'd never seen. So this is how we can kind of segue into our bigger discussion on mental health disability in the drag scene. You have done several numbers using ASL. The one that I first caught was a Billie Eilish number, but you've done that a few times. 
How did you decide to incorporate ASL into your stage persona and performance? Well, I myself am hard of hearing and I, I do like ASL to practice and really just because it's a really neat language. I decided to learn it and because one of my like foster moms was deaf and I was like, I, I want to learn ASL when it was offered at my high school. The first time I decided to use it in performance was an or 303 song rather. Uh, it was like, don't, don't trust me because I was stuck in oh, yeah. traffic and I just realized I could sign the entirety of the song. Wow. And I was like, wow, I'm so new at this language. And I, I know an entire song already. And after I performed it on a whim that first night, I was like, wow, I really think I should do more of this. The crowd really loved it. And somebody came up to me um, afterwards and was like, I never see accommodations for deaf or hard of hearing people at clubs of, of any type. And that's the first time I saw it. And I just wanted to thank you so much. And I got just an overwhelming flood of support online, like Instagram from the hard of hearing and deaf community, just being like, wow, thank you. Like nobody does this. And like people don't post captions on their videos and all this other stuff. And I was like, I, I really want to do this because it creates such beautiful visuals. And I'm reaching towards a community that does not get reached to. And then other people are taking note of that and saying, oh, we have fans in this community. Like maybe we should do something for them or about them and showing them like, hey, you can, you can come and do this too. A bunch of other people, kings, queens have gone up and be like, oh, I want to learn ASL now. Like this seems really cool. Like Mr. One Tit Wonder out there is like, hey, I, that's a real drag queen, uh, drag king, by the way. I love <laughs> that name. Like, I love I just, that name. I'm learning ASL and I can't wait to do my first number. And I'm like, this is so amazing. Yeah. Well, and that's, it, it's so lovely to hear you have that kind of reaction to other performers wanting to do that because then it's truly like you want to make things better for people with disabilities instead of being like, you stole my idea. Meh. You know, like I want to reach people that- I don't know the whole language. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, you know, what- one of the things that you mentioned is just how few accommodations or or how inaccessible different like venues are. If I'm thinking of the cabaret, for example, the cabaret is upstairs. They don't have a they don't have a an elevator. Um, they don't you know so it, it has to be. So there's that. There's also like, especially at like a drag show, there's kind of the assumption that everybody who's there can hear the song and can and know what the words are that the um that the performer is like lip syncing so yeah i i'm kind of having a moment where i didn't quite realize just how inaccessible venues and shows really can be we've all gone to a venue that is a tiny tiny as all get up like barely enough room for the queens and their guests like imagine if somebody needed space to sign or needed space for a wheelchair or another mobility device like even a performer like mm -hmm. at the cabaret right. if you if you are on a wheelchair you can't get from the backstage area to the actual stage right like at all and even if you did there's very minimal room to do anything yeah that's exactly right well and yeah even i i mean cabaret is the example here but like it's a three-story building that has all stairs and then even even if 
a performer was using a wheelchair and they were in that like side green room instead of being put all the way up on the third floor, there are still two stairs to get from the green room onto the stage, backstage behind the curtain. So yeah, it's 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 not something that I really ever thought about. And that's it's just yeah, it that's just wild, you know. And I mean, even at, at the bar I perform at E19, you know, there are two steps up to go and talk to the DJ and make sure that the music's all all fine. Right. Accessibility is definitely an issue that needs to be addressed throughout our society. But it seems like the queer community would be particularly sort of attuned to making accommodations to make sure that our safe, our safe spaces are accessible to everyone, right? Mm -hmm. And it seems like that is sort of just a failure of, I don't, I don't think like people are being deliberately assholes or anything. It's just being unaware, right? Like just not recognizing how they might be failing their community. It's a real system problem. Like it's just so ingrained in like able-bodied people that it, it does not even register to them. When you're right. a bar owner and you're plotting renovations for like your new space, you don't, you just don't think about it at first. Like it's not the first thing that comes to your mind. You're thinking, how can I make it inclusive to the queers? But you're not like, how can I make it inclusive to disabled or differently abled people? Right. Right. The whole community. Many of whom are also queer, you know, right. so like. <laughs> right, right. Not every queer person is, you know, what am I trying to say? Scratch what I'm trying to say. There's a lot of overlap. Yeah. Like intersectionality is a thing. Ability is one of those vectors yes. of identity that like overlaps with many others. So. Yeah, more intersectionality. Yes, multifaceted. That's the word. There we go. Thank you, guys. I'm sorry. I've had a hell of a day. <laughs> My brain is not functioning as well as I'd like it to be. Well, and so I think one of the other things that, like, so if somebody is in a wheelchair outside of a club, people can say, oh, it's only two steps up into that club. We can help you into this club real quick, and we'll make sure to help you get out. That's really easy to see right? Like you have a disability, two steps isn't crazy to lift somebody up into a club and lift back out. But there are a lot of hidden disabilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, trying to think about the show, one of the things that I had come upon was like a drag queen who was blind in one eye. And so like how hard it is to just paint her face, right? Like, because she doesn't have the right sort of depth perception. Right. And then like, she also was talking about knowing the exact dimensions of stages and being able to have access to those stages beforehand so she can walk them to know, like yeah. if I do a turn, I'm not gonna go you know, six inches too far and fall into the audience. But then I was thinking about how some hidden disabilities might be more accepted in the drag community. And I thought maybe we could talk about that because I think that, and not being a drag performer, just being a lover of drag. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that certain, especially mental health struggles are more accepted in the drag community or in the queer community, things like depression or anxiety, where it's like, oh, so many of us struggle with those issues. We're here to help you. But then other hidden disabilities, whether they are physical or mental, people will just disregard. 
do you, either of you have any thoughts? Yeah, yeah, a lot of, I will, I will take a moment to collect my thoughts. <laughs> if you have anything, PhD. <laughs> I, I think really the only thing that I can speak to on that is, I mean, even when you were phrasing the question, you said something like, so many of us struggle with depression, anxiety, whether that's a biological something or whether that is like, we are dealing with that because of the ways that we've been treated in our lives. I think, you know, I think it can be a little bit of both. I'm not like a nature versus nurture kind of, I'm not trying to have that conversation because I do think it's both, right? Right. But because our lives as queer people often require some kind of perseverance and endurance through like terrible situations, I think I think these hidden disabilities that you're talking about, like uh, like hidden mental health struggles specifically are more common and therefore because of the prevalence, they're more quote unquote acceptable um, or accepted, I guess is, is what is kind of what you're, where you're going with that. So maybe prevalence has something to do with like the acceptability of, you know, a drag performer who is also struggling with depression. Yeah, I feel like as queer people with, with similar backgrounds, we do have very, very similar coping mechanisms and can develop like the same type of, of chronic illnesses like anxiety and depression. Those being the two most commonly accepted in America as well, uh, as far as like mental illnesses go, just because well, a lot of reasons, but one of which is like psychologically, those two are more vastly accepted because people code them as you're just a little bit sad and mm. you have anxiety because you're feeling anxious, but like an anxiety disorder and a depression, like depressive disorders are the extremes of those feelings. And yes, everybody has those feelings, but like not necessarily to those extremes that the people right. who have these illnesses suffer from i feel like the drag community accepts things like that in that light i feel like it accepts addiction struggles a little bit more readily because a lot of drag artists have a shared background with that and a shared struggle through that and as an artist if you do struggle with that it's something that is vaguely accepted because it's like yeah of course you struggled with alcoholism or drugs. You're an artist, like you're a starving, bleeding artist mm -hmm. and that's your soul. But people who have bipolar or, or like in my case, schizoaffective disorder, people don't know how to handle those symptoms. It's not just mm -hmm. what you can see and then go and deal with. It's more, it's more like off the wall and I feel like people don't expect it and so it's more jarring to them. So it's, it's scarier. And so they reject it on that premise. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. And I mean, depression and anxiety, like, like we said, whether that's more biological or if it's more like from society, because growing up queer, it would be nice to say in America sucks, but in the world generally sucks, you know, <laughs> like we're not special here, you know, it sucks everywhere. To the point where, and I, or sort of again, like addiction, well, that's how lots of people struggle uh, or self-medicate through those things. Like if you're anxious or you're depressed and you have a drink and you realize you're not so anxious, or you can laugh at these jokes, then, well, yeah, it makes sense. But so 
I think that most people, when they hear a word like schizoaffective, they immediately go to like schizo, right? Like that, that root. So you must be a real crazy person kind of thing, right? Like you're going to come after me with a knife or you're going to try to dance naked in the freezing sleet because that's what <laughs> crazy people do. My naked dances have nothing to do with my mental health. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, I would say if I'm dancing naked, I'm in a good place, actually. <laughs> it's when I haven't gotten out of bed for three days. That's the problem. <laughs> um, so how how do you broach that subject within the queer community or the drag community? Like, Or how can we help people who are struggling with those sorts of hidden disabilities or mental health issues? Honestly, doing what you're doing now, giving it a platform, talking about it, it's it's the best possible thing. I don't really outwardly like post a whole lot about like my schizoaffective disorder, but I I'll I'll like talk to people when it gets brought up and I'm not shy about saying, yeah, I have this thing and it's kind of like schizophrenia and it's kind of like bipolar and they just kind of got together and made me and like I'll talk with people about it and the symptoms and honestly it's about remembering that it's not that person like a lot of times like if I'm helping somebody who has a severe mental illness like this I have to remember like ah they they're aggressive and angry right now and they don't want to be aggressive and angry right now just as much as I don't want them to be aggressive and angry right now. Like they can't help but feel this way and they're lashing out and it's upsetting, but you can channel it and like you can you can do things like drag to get through and do more things like art and you can be active or even if you can't, you can do makeup and escape into a different persona, do things like that. But yeah, it's, it's honestly just about talking, just talking to somebody else, talking on platforms, talking to the wall, if you don't have anybody, just out loud, get all of it out and just be like, I'm feeling this way. And I feel like nobody sees this about me. And it's a real thing. And I'm expressing it into the universe because it needs to be seen, even if it's only by me. And just just doing that. I feel like drag has such a good support system for, for a lot of the things that are accepted, like anxiety and depression. And I feel like that support system could just be expanded so much if if we all just like let go of the preconceived notions like ah schizo people are crazy and they have different personalities and whatnot and just be like no people are people are here and they're hurting and we can help them and there's nothing wrong we're just here to help them be them you know yeah yeah I think that that's beautiful and I think that you. So I'm a writer. And so I have one, well, actually one of my big grad school seminar papers was on like bibliotherapy with POWs. You know, like I always think like for me, writing, like that's my art. That's how I can get it out. I don't know if I could have survived high school without my journals and my poetry, you know, like I had had to channel all of that like darkness and frustration somewhere. And so like, of course, yeah, drag is the perfect platform to do the same thing. And again, you might touch somebody in the audience or another performer mm -hmm. 
with the same reaction that you had with your ASL, per, you know, performance where like, oh, I feel seen. It's not just me because I think a lot of people with hidden disabilities, mental health struggles, one of the biggest problems is feeling alone. And so if you can build that connection, even if that audience member doesn't feel comfortable saying that to you, to see something reflected in a performance or to hear you talking about it on this podcast will make them feel seen and make them feel less alone in the world. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. Oh. And it's, cry, it's, it's... <laughs> I see you making a little boo-boo face. <laughs> I have, listen, I am the coldest, cold-heartedest person that I know, but sometimes I get feelings. On occasion. <laughs> on occasion. Listen, I, I'm a triple water sign. I have all of the feelings all the time. <laughs> I was like, this so, is so much bullshit. <laughs> you have triple big feelings. water. That's I'm a trip. I'm much. I'm a triple water sign. I'm a cancer Scorpio Scorpio. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Or or what I like to call an astrological disaster. <laughs> Well, you know, I think you're an astrological marvel, darling. You know that I think that. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> See, I know you're a disaster, but I love you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the support we're talking about. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> love you. how do you feel like drag has helped you personally with your hidden disabilities yeah honestly it's it's it lies again in the in the first question you asked I think um like where Landon gets a lot of his his character building from like a lot of the demonic creepier just a little Mm bit off I I channel all that through there I just I essentially just escape my situation with drag I'm I'm still currently in an environment where I'm getting dead named and misgendered every day mm-hmm. even though I uh have a court date to change my name legally coming up next month okay yes congratulations um, thank you but I I feel like he just helps me express like all the different range of emotions I could possibly feel a big part of schizoaffective disorder is is the mood swings that like bipolar has and it's it's just very nice to be able to the day before a show just be like I feel so angry I feel like so bottled angry and there's like nothing wrong so I'm gonna do a six minute long screamo number on stage and just get that all out and like ah like Dragula or Dragula has been like a real good thing like everybody doing the creepier side of things Mm-hmm. has helped because I'm like ah yes other people who do it good right right yeah I feel like Dragula has been and we've talked about this ad nauseum on the, on the on the show but like I feel like Dragula has really done a fantastic job at just shedding light on drag that doesn't get mainstreamed and the I, I really don't like the word issues but like the issues that people kind of go through that create that kind of alternative drag um, that gets showcased in that alternative drag space. And it's just such a fucking fantastic show. It's amazing. I'll be honest, I, I don't watch RuPaul. I have a lot of issues with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't have those issues with Dragula. 
mostly because I was a little bit late to the game. I was like, you said a drag king one? What? Yeah. Listen, Daddy Land Insider could do whatever the fuck he wanted to me. Oof. Yeah. I feel like we've said that several times too on this show. Oh my like, god. Oh, that Daddy Werewolf especially. Jesus. That Daddy Werewolf? Oh my god. <laughs> fuck. Yeah. That brain surgeon look. <laughs> yeah well and uh again like that's how dragula is better and more representative in so many ways mm-hmm. than maybe rpdr is because a fucking drag king not only competed but won where right. we don't get oh, those yeah. sorts of performers on as much as i do love rupaul i recognize the many problems with it. Yeah. right right <laughs> I, right right i'm not unaware uh, <laughs> Well, so when I asked you about what we might want to talk about, one of the things that you certainly brought up was let's talk about disability and mental health, especially right now in the pandemic. Uh, so many of us feel so much more disconnected and drag performers are very st- still very much limited in how often or where they can perform opposed to what we're used to. It's getting sad because now we're starting, to, I feel like I'm starting to get used to this world and I'm very desperate to go back to the world where I can go to a fucking drag show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I thought maybe we just talk about some of those thoughts that you had about coping in during this time. That's so difficult for people. Yeah. The national Patricia has been getting everybody down. Um, (laughs) It's if you've been doing it right and staying away from people, you do feel lonely and that is upsetting. You are helping people not get sick and die. So thank you for that. Thank you for wearing your masks. But yeah, it's it's a big feeling that a lot of people are feeling disconnected. I know a lot of performers like myself who who do it mainly because of like the crowd and like feed off that energy just don't get the same feeling from online shows. And like right. there's tip disparities, but we we all know we're in it for the art. Right. Right. And there's just there's a lot different and everybody doesn't feel that connection. Like I've I've now gone an entire year without seeing like some of my closest drag friends just because there haven't been shows and we're not together in online shows and I don't really do online shows too much because um my space is just just this, just very very small and boxy and I uh I have like two roommates and then there's three other people that are also living here okay so I've never had the time or space right but yeah people have kind of spiraled into like this weird stage of of oppressive boredom where they're Mm. not necessarily like sad or like depressed but they're very very bored Mm-hmm. and the same feelings are being equated in their minds where it's like ah yes I am bored so I must be sad mm-hmm. and it's it's very much so like a disconnect from typical like everyday reality like people are spending all of their time inside if you don't have a job right now and you're not going to school you are spending like every single day inside that isn't right. mm-hmm. like going to the grocery store or walking around your block and it's just a huge disconnect from any communities you were a part of or any family and a lot of people at this point in the pandemic are 
like losing all of the fun connectivity activities that they did at the beginning, like uh, going in nature, like calling a friend every week and having an hour long chat and like mm-hmm. all the things that were suggested at the beginning where it's like, come on guys, we can get through this, have just lost all continuity or interest at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost like just a cycle that you're getting stuck in because now there's nothing to do outside because of the snow and you're not being pushed to do any of those connectivity actions and you don't even feel like doing the connectivity actions. Luckily I've talked about this before. I have a D and D group that meets every Wednesday. We're from all over the country. Yeah. I figured since you did Renfest, you might be also in a little (laughs) D and D, but (laughs) I didn't want to pigeonhole you there, but, (laughs) but But like, I know at the very least Wednesday nights, I have that. I am going to see other people besides my husband and we are going to escape into a fantasy world, Mm -hmm. you know, try to destroy evil and save good people, maybe get some treasure. It'll be a good time. Some treasure. Some treasure. But it used to be like every weekend I would make sure I had another Zoom activity with a group of friends, with my family. All of that has definitely slowed down. And I try to force myself to be like, no, we're going to just like call these people, talk about WandaVision. God damn it. We're doing something. <laughs> but like you get that malaise too, where it's like nothing does kind of matter. That oppressive boredom that becomes apathy, which I, as as somebody who's struggled with depression, like when your depression gets really bad, it's not that you feel sad so much. You feel just fucking apathetic. Like mm. you kind of just go numb. And right now that that, I feel like a, a whole bunch of this nation is there in like numbness. So besides doing Zoom calls, like what, what do you recommend people could do? Like, how can we cope? Uh, I picked up a like week schedule routine just because when I when we got dumped into the pandemic I essentially had just graduated had had like no job had nothing to do with my time I I had no classes no schedule if I wanted to I could lay around every single day of the week and watch Star Trek to my heart's content (laughs) and I was like this is just boring and like you said like apathy said and it's like it doesn't even matter and so I was like, well, I know that I'm a person that needs to be on a schedule, like Mm -hmm. hardcore for there to be any semblance of me feeling regulated. So I just started with small activities. I was like, all right, one activity every day, make it an activity that you think will help either your body, your mind, or like your, your spirit or like your, your creativity. Mondays, I eat soups and salads. So I know I'm taking care of my body. Mm -hmm. Tuesday. I got one hour of movement. Doesn't matter what you're doing, like stretching, yoga, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Wednesday, like do an hour of relaxation work, reading, drawing, whatever you do to relax. Mm-hmm. Um, just choose small activities and just small increments of time too. Like don't, don't try and force yourself. Ah, today is your day to do art. So you have to create this masterpiece. Like, no, just doodle in color for like, 20 minutes take a break maybe come back to it 15 minutes later yeah just it's small things that trick your body into thinking that 
you're way more engaged and your environment is more enriched than it actually is. It's, it's essentially the, the active version of smiling when you're sad to make your brain think that you're happy. Right. Trick my yeah. brain releasing chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also like what you're saying too about the small activities, those kind of like small victories, those small wins sometimes mean a lot more. I know a ton of people when quarantine and the shutdown all ha- like first happened, they made these grand plans to learn a new hobby, to learn a new skill, to do this big thing. And none of us accomplished those because we just didn't, you know? And so it's, I think it's important to recognize that one hour of exercise or 20 minutes of coloring and doodling can be just as effective for your like emotional health and well-being as learning a brand new skill. Like I was never going to actually learn how to sew during quarantine. I just <laughs> refuse. So <laughs> I'm trying, but all my lines keep turning out gay. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't have the patience. Oh my lord. I say lean into it. I also have a problem with straight lines. Just figure out how that becomes part of the costume. (laughs) 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 Little thing, I'm like, I have stopped doing all of these little things. One of the little things that I was doing at the beginning of quarantine was certainly like just trying to figure out a new cooking skill that I didn't have. So like one week, I really tried to figure out how to make poached eggs and I figured it out. You know, now I can poach an egg and I okay, I'm going to make a different kind of bread or I'm going to, you know, and I've definitely just gone back into, these are the things that I make all the time, not doing super fun experiments in the kitchen, which is something that makes me happy. And depending on what it is, can be very healthy or unhealthy, depending on what <laughs> How many sticks of butter went, went into that banana bread? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it depends. <laughs> depends what we're doing. But that was another experiment I did where I was like, I am finally going to do a one meatless day. So I am going to figure out how to cook tofu. Mm-hmm. Now I've figured out how to cook tofu. So now I need to press myself on. Thank you for reminding me. Something little like that is absolutely attainable goals are nice to have instead of I'm going to learn Italian. No, you're not. Right. No, you can learn how to poach a fucking egg though. That's not so hard. (laughs) And it it can literally be like the smallest thing. It can, it can just be like, I will make sure to wash my face and brush my teeth every morning and night. And then every other day I will take a shower, like something like very small, like tasks that you're already going to be like expected to do. And just like knowing, yeah, no, I did that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, maybe I didn't do anything else today, but I brushed my teeth and washed my face. <laughs> I've definitely yeah. had those days in quarantine where I'm like, I brushed my teeth. God damn it. I got dressed. Yeah. Fuck yeah. everybody else. <laughs> That's all you could ask for me. Are you a part of any other digital communities? Because I, I think that that still like for me, my D and D group, is it like an official digital community? But it is, you know. There's, that's what we're doing. Did you have any recommendations about any of that? Or thoughts? well, D and D is a good recommendation. Mine's unfortunately on semi permanent hiatus. Um, <laughs> we're figuring out some stuff, but honestly, like a lot of the 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 kitschy type things that like started up back at the beginning of this like Facebook book clubs 
mm-hmm. where they like they they post the book or it's like an audio book that you listen to getting into some very queer podcast <laughs> oh hey <laughs> whatever do you mean <laughs> um i know like a lot of people do like a video game like chat and like streams mm. like twitch and discord and whatnot my roommate's very big into minecraft so mm. like just small little things like that but i i'm i'm not too good at technology i'm like a boomer when it comes to tech <laughs> so i i'm not into a whole lot of online stuff <laughs> you figured out how to do this call so i think you're still ahead of a whole bunch of boomers but you might not be giving yourself quite enough credit there what about you, Dee? Do you have any sorts of ideas where people could cope with their mental health struggles right now? No, girl, I'm a slug. <laughs> so I, I thought you were going to say shopping for new drag. Is what oh, <laughs> my God, bitch. Yeah, so. Um... <laughs> Retail therapy. Retail therapy is a thing. Yeah, I... Uh girl i went shopping last week um <laughs> just whoo mama buying things i didn't remember buying so um, i saw that on facebook <laughs> that was a <laughs> that was a surprise <laughs> uh, <laughs> surprise yourself by drinking too much rosé and going listen so, listen you all can have your drunk amazon purchases i'm gonna buy couture drag it's not that big a deal it's fine <laughs> No, one. so one thing that I, one thing that I have always wanted to do and just never, even still have not actually done is a hobby that I had before quarantine and just kind of leveling up in that hobby. So I am a coffee snob. Um, I don't do Starbucks. I don't do Folgers. Like I am an independent roaster kind of coffee snob, but I don't have any of the, or I didn't have any of the kind of like fancier mechanical stuff to make good coffee mm-hmm. out of the good coffee that I bought that, that I buy. Mm-hmm. So I finally purchased a, a French press. I finally purchased a gooseneck little like electric kettle. Mm-hmm. Um, so like coffee has always been, not, I shouldn't say always, but coffee has been a hobby of mine for a long time. And so I just thought maybe, you know, now's the time to level up a hobby that I'm already invested in. So maybe you could consider that a small win. Heck yeah. Obviously level up in your hobbies. You, you want to be as close to level 20 as you can. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I think it's those little things. So like leveling up your coffee game, like you can buy a frother, which isn't at all expensive, right? right? Like right. buy one of those for probably five to seven dollars. And it, it will change your experience. Like, fuck around right. with that. Have some fun. I, I think all of those are really great suggestions. And I will say, like, one of the things that I did the other day that my husband was like, why are you doing that? He asked me, why are you putting on makeup? Which, for me, my makeup is just my eyes. That's all I ever really need to do. And I'm a happy person. I love a lip, but I bite my lips. So then I just have weird space on my bottom lip. Oh, I just look silly now. (laughs) Um, But but I was like, because I don't feel great and putting on eyeshadow and eyeliner makes me feel better. Just this little thing will make me feel better, even though 
I haven't showered in three days. <laughs> I'm going to <laughs> it's a good thing you can't smell me through this call. <laughs> <laughs> I showered today. I Clean did not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if eyes are going to be your thing, just wait until the eyeline, like one day, the eyeline is going to come all the way back to your hairline and then you're just going to be a drag queen. So get ready, mama. Yes, girl. <laughs> I love how all of these calls are turning into how do we make Jess a drag queen? <laughs> Step one is picking the name. <laughs> well, we talked about this previously at some point where I think that the consensus was that I should pick my mother's name, which is Fanny Pearl, because it doesn't sound like a real name. <laughs> so good. Fanny Pearl. Fanny Pearl. <laughs> And she's the one it. who introduced me to the stage, first of all. So <laughs> I would not be nearly as dramatic as I am if it weren't for that woman. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, you know, I, I love that regardless of whether you actually, you know, do makeup, drag makeup eventually. I love that, you know, makeup is, is your small victory. Yes. Just having a painted eye makes me feel mm-hmm. better. Just look, when I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh, that's better. Instead of like, oh, she's. God damn. <laughs> oh man. Let's avoid those altogether. <laughs> there are no mirrors near my couch. Hmm. <laughs> <Oop. laughs> yeah. Well, uh, is there anything else that you would like to add to the conversation that we haven't covered, Landon? I I think the example you just gave is a pretty good segue. Like your husband was like, ah, what what are you doing? Why are you putting on makeup? And you're like, I'm being me. yes just like people like in your household don't don't be like worried what they're gonna think about your weird small victory thing lay face first in a pile of stuffed animals for a half hour like don't let somebody come up and be like what are you doing man that's weird stop it like (laughs) do your thing and and just be like do you want to join me like i'm i'm just i'm doing me right this teddy bear is super soft to just press your face into for a while. <laughs> Listen, I don't know that I can convince my cats not to judge me for my small victories. So uh, cats are a different, different, mm-hmm. different breed. My they dog are... never judges me, but she also has no clue what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> the number of side eye, the number of times I get side eye from my cats just on any given day for any moment. That could be for anything. That could be because you just saved a three-year-old's life. A cat would judge you poorly for that. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You're right. You're right. Why would you expend that energy to save that (laughs) stupid thing? (laughs) Drag queens learned how to read from cats. That's... I buy it. Yeah. 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 I'll buy that for a dollar. Absolutely. hundred percent. hundred percent. Well, Landon, we do not want to end the episode without giving you the chance to plug some of your socials, any kind of upcoming gigs or appearances, digital or otherwise, cash app, Venmo. So we always end the episode with a little bit of homework for anybody listening to make sure that they support you in whatever way that they can. Um, So why don't you tell the kids where they can find you, digitally or otherwise? Yeah, so I am I am on the Instagram under Landon Strip. Uh, I am on Facebook under the same name. Um, those are my two main social medias, Venmo 
and Cash App and all other payment forms is Mads Pumpkin. That's M-A-D-Z Pumpkin. You can find me running around with Smoke and Queers, with the Odd Girls. My next show, Weather Permitting, will be next month up in Columbus. Ooh. Um, and then I'm just going to take a hot second to plug another drag group that kind of fits in with the theme of today. Perfect. Um, drag Syndrome. They are a bunch of drag artists that happen to have Down syndrome. So if you can go and give them a follow for me, Justin Bond is one of my favorite dudes. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. And I'll throw out a couple others. There's uh, Deafies in Drag, uh, who are two Latina deaf drag queens. One of them, I'm pretty sure, is actually from Indianapolis. Casavina, I think, is from Indianapolis. There's Sarah Plegic. Uh, there are all sorts of really wonderful performers out there who actually were doing digital drag long before this pandemic because that was the easiest way for them to perform. So find those people because they're kind of experts at this, whereas some of us might be apparently boomers at technology. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent homework. Thank you, Landon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for talking more about drag kings and burlesque and mental health on your podcast it's, it's yeah. great to have those platforms for literally all of that <laughs> thank you for agreeing and thank you for bringing this topic or these topics to us like i was so excited a series like oh yeah i have ideas what about this and this and this i was like let's do all of it that sounds wonderful <laughs> so thank you thank you so much you're an awesome performer if you do not know landon strip go see him immediately he is everything that you want out of a demon king i promise it's i was gonna say how did you how did you introduce him the smoldering drag demon king of cincinnati i love it yes king smoldering yes (laughs) (laughs) i love it all right well with all of that being said just shall we we shall No problem, I had a blast.